Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season 3.5, right in the middle of season three and season four, another special episode headed your way this very day. I am in the Alliance National Office in Colorado Springs, home of the A.B. Simpson bust, the A.B. Simpson pulpit, and the A.B. Simpson life-size placard. All appropriate today because we're going to talk about the book, A.B. with its author, David Jones. I'm Terry, the church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, uh, the multiplication director in Eastern PA and the Northeast Regional Church Planning Coordinator. And now pinch hitting for Caitlin Guyberson, Holly Farmer, today's pinch hitting producer. Thanks, Holly, for uh, working with us. We appreciate it. And uh, so David Jones, Alan, you said, was the first Alliance international worker you ever met. That is correct. Uh, As a fledgling Alliance youth pastor, um, three months after I began in ministry, I had not, you know, before that, I did not grow up in the Alliance, so I didn't get to meet any Alliance missionaries along the way. I went to some in college. Don't recall any uh, missions conferences uh, that I was a part of. My loss. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I had to go to Summit Grove Camp three months after I started in ministry uh, in Harrisburg, PA, and David was the missionary of the week. And so I spent a lot of time talking to him, and that was my first exposure to God's work through the Alliance overseas. Let me correct that. You said you had to go to Summit Grove Camp. You got to go to Summit Grove Oh, yes. Sorry. I got an to, opportunity, well, yeah, to be, to not a fair, mandate. When I was a 23-year-old new youth pastor, it felt like I had to go. Now uh, I understand that I yeah. got to go. At the time, it felt like I had. Part of your sanctification process, and we're glad that's uh, happening. So David David served as an international worker in Brazil for the Alliance for a number of years, and uh, the director of what we now call Global Link here in the uh, national office for seven uh, years, and uh, a long history in the Alliance. His father was an Alliance pastor in the... uh, Philadelphia area at one time. And so we're we're going to talk to David today about this book that he's written about A.B. Simpson. You read the book, Alan. What'd you like about it? I liked that it was honest. Honestly, it was, a, it was a great recounting with a good timeline of his life and ministry, but didn't shy away from talking about his struggles in leadership and just even his struggles with his marriage and his, uh, his parenting. Uh, you know, um, boy, I appreciate it. And that makes me read the rest of the book with more attentiveness because I know he's not just trying to uh, paint a picture of some saint that could do no wrong. Yeah, it's real life. And uh, A.B. Simpson was made of flesh and blood just like we are and uh, struggled with some of the same things uh, that we struggle with in ministry. So really looking forward to uh, David's insights about the book and about A.B. Simpson today. Yeah. So uh, sit back relax. In the middle of this hot summer, grab yourself a refreshing, fresh squeezed lemonade. Here we go. 
And we're pleased to welcome to Equipping You podcast today, David Jones, the author of the book, AB. And so, David, welcome. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Terry. It's good to be with you. Um, appreciate the opportunity. <clears throat> so, uh, I enjoyed reading the book, I will say, uh, very much. Kind of once you get rolling in it, one of those things you just want to keep reading and don't want to put down. It and, sure is. Uh, uh, variety of biographies on uh, Stimson, a couple, three different ones uh, over the years, but this one was unique, filled in some blanks and uh, an honest uh, look at his life. So what prompted you to write a new A.B. Simpson biography, David? Um, in 2016, I was finishing up uh, a second history that I'd written um, called Root and, Roots and Branches. It's the history of the CMA mission in Brazil. I'd been asked to write that by the National Church president. So as I was working on it, and, and Brazil featured in A.B. Simpson's life, although most people don't know that, I noticed, oh, A.B. died in 1919. So this is 2016. I thought, hmm, I wonder, wonder what National Office is going to do, you know, for celebration or centennial and yada, yada. So I checked around and found out that, and I say this with respect, not a whole lot of thought had been put into it. So I uh, thought, well, Paul King ought to write a, a biography of A.B. Simpson. <laughs> Last of course. My poser in 43, Paul's a good biographer. I wrote him, he says, Dave, I'm up to my earlobes. John Stumpo's got me working on so many projects. <laughs> I don't have any time. So then I called Jim Snyder because he'd done Tozer. He said, same thing, I'm just busy, I can't do it. So I'm thinking, man, somebody's got to write it. And then a friend of mine in Canada who helped me publish my first Alliance history, missions history, said, well, why don't you take a crack at it? So that's why I did the book, basically, because I couldn't find anybody else that had a name that would do it. And once I got an okay that, yeah, they'd at least give it a look once I got it done, I started. So I started working in 2016 and that's that's the reason why. I thought the centennial coming up, we ought to recognize the life of this man. Um, there's a second quick story. Young guy in our church, he's a Lance pastor now. He's, he's pastoring with us. And I asked him one time, I said, Kenny, what does, who does A.B. Simpson represent to you? And he said, an old bearded guy in a picture on the wall in my pastor's office. Hmm. Oh, that bothered me. Because, and this guy is smart. This guy is very bright as a master's from ATS, yada, yada. And I thought, man, if that's where he is, then that's where a lot of people are. And we, we need to know our past. We need to know where we came from. So that's the reason why I did it. Great. That's a great, that's a great reason. Centennial Here am I, send Paul. Here am I, send Jim. They yeah. won't go. Here am I, send me. That's, yeah. the, that's the summary of the story. <laughs> oh, that's my it. goodness. That's great. Hey, uh, so with this new uh, biography, the centennial version, what do you hope your readers will gain uh, from reading the book? Okay, I'll try and keep my stories quick. Uh, <laughs> I was ordained my first term in Brazil. I, I went out unordained, and then I got ordained on the field. <clears throat> so one of the things I had to do, reading your books and all, I had to read the biography of A.B. Simpson. So I had I probably got it from my dad. I had a copy of A.E. Thompson's biography that was written in 1920. Wow. And I read it, and historically it was good. I mean, very accurate and, and, and good. But honestly, 
And I didn't even know the word then, but it was more a hagiography than a biography. Ah. Uh, and I found out later hagiography is like a saintography. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I read the book as a young guy, I was like 27 or 28. I'm thinking, my goodness, this guy never messed up once. You know, he had his life crisis and all that stuff. But he, I mean, and, and this is part of the problem. Thompson wrote his biography in 1920. A.B. died in 1919. Uh, A.W. Tozer, uh, I think it was once said that biography should be served cold or something to that effect. In other words, you got to wait a while for the guy because you might find out he wasn't such a hot guy after all. <laughs> There's some wisdom anyway, in that. I, I read this biography and I, I was thrilled because I, my, I'm a lion's Preacher's kid, and I had met people at the Summer Grove camp, and you know, in Pennsylvania, where the Alliance mm -hmm. camp. shout out. There we yeah. go. Uh, I met guys that actually were trained under Simpson, under just at the tail end of Simpson's time, and they told me about what he was such a great man, great man, and he had a sense of humor. and And I'm thinking, geez, I didn't, I didn't see that in Thompson's book. Tozer wrote the book in '43 that most guys have read, in a wing spread. And Tozer later admitted, I wrote a, an interpretation of Simpson's life. Because when I read it some time ago, I thought, boy, that's a lousy, it's a lousy history because it even dates. It, and he kind of mixed stuff up. And Tozer, that was his first published book by Christian Publication. And later he tried to get CPI to pull it because he didn't like it. And they said, huh. Tozer's gold. We're going to publish it as long as we can. So... I wasn't really too satisfied with either one, and, and it was a bit presumptuous to take a crack at it, but since nobody else was willing to do it, uh, that's what. So what do I hope people get? I hope people realize that A.B. Simpson was a real, he was a man of God, but he's a real man. And as real men and real ladies, got a lady on there, <laughs> as, as we know, um, people make mistakes. People grow. People learn. People look back and say, boy, I wish I hadn't done it that way. And so that's what I tried to do, not rewriting his history at all, but bringing out some parts of his life that most people never heard about that gives a, a, a better picture of a full man. So that's that's what it was about. I, I think you were a success in writing. I, I agree totally. So uh, as you wrote about A.B. Simpson and his life and Doing the research, uh, David, what surprise discoveries did you make about Simpson? I can say this in all honesty. I discovered nothing new biographically about him that wasn't extant and, and somewhere you could get a hold of it. I, I learned a lot, a whole lot about his family because I really did a deep dive. I learned much more about the relationship with Margaret, which was troubled at times until they both got on the same page. I learned about his boys, and you know that chapter I have called Preacher's Kids in the appendix? Yeah. Uh, I think some people would just assume I hadn't written it. But if you're going to show a whole man and a whole person, that has to be seen also. So that was surprising. It certainly doesn't tear his character down. It's just that that was certainly a lot of new stuff to me I didn't realize before. Um, I was really amazed at how much had been written about A.B. Simpson after Tozer. Now, in 1987, 
uh, all for Jesus was done, you know, that was the history of the CMA centennial history. And there was a good long chapter that Bob Nicholas had written, basically Bob and John Sowen had written about AB, but that was a chapter. There were several books written about Simpson, about his devotional uh, theology, um, let me see, I've got them written down here, his eschatology, his missiology, his theology, a whole ton of dissertations were done. I have about 10 on file here, and there's more that are out there, and some of them, at least one of them isn't very complimentary, but anyway, it, there's a whole, there was a whole lot of academic stuff written about Simpson, as well as at least another five books dealing with different facets of A.B. Simpson's especially his theology, his understanding of social concern, these kind of things. And that was surprising to me because I hadn't really been aware before, but if you go on Google and you put A.B. Simpson, boom, lots of stuff pops up and then you can read, buy it and read it. So um, a, lot of, a lot of material like that was uh, interesting for me. And, you know, I don't know for the reader, but I learned a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I, for one, certainly appreciate your honesty about that. Um, you know, when we sugarcoat our heroes, sometimes we don't really do ourselves any favors. So I'm glad you included that chapter because I think it gives uh, all of us a caution to recognize that, uh, you know, we, our first disciples are our family and we, we have to be, address that honestly. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate in that. that. In that chapter, in that, that appendix, uh, I do talk about that. I, that, before A.B. Simpson was ever A.B. Simpson, the Christian Missionary Alliance existed and all that, he was a husband and a father. So chronologically, there was a call on him to be a good husband and a good dad before he became the good founder of the CMA and all the rest of it followed. And I, I think, let's be honest, all of us struggle with that balance in ministry. Sure we As do. Involved yep. in it. it can be so absorbing and, you know, you have so many hours and so much energy. Yeah. So what do you think are some misunderstandings that uh, people have uh, of, of AB? Well, certainly one of them uh, that I, and again, I can't tell you what other people think in terms of misunderstandings, but as I came to understanding better, uh, I think that that whole issue of balance and ministry uh, was a major industry. Uh, and I think what it, it, it uh, counseled two years ago, whenever it was, 2019, when the book was, you know, was put out and I'm signing autographs back there at the table, there were actually some people that had bought it and read it during council, you know, right? I don't know what they did during the sessions, but they <laughs> <laughs> got to do something it. during those business meetings. Oh, you got to give them something to do or you get your phone out. But anyway, uh, s several of the younger generation, I'm talking people in their thirties, early forties, brought up this whole issue of A.B. and his wife and their relationship, which was stormy. And I, I'm not going to read the book for you, but if you read that chapter, especially where we deal with their marriage, um, both of them had distinct expectations when they entered their marital relationship. And it took them a long time. It's Honestly, it wasn't until, and, and this is going to sound terrible, but it wasn't until she had her deeper life sanctification experience that she really got on the same page with A.B. Once she did, she was 100%. But she 
fought him tooth and nail. When he moved from Hamilton, Ontario, down to Louisville, she was thrilled because he was going to get twice as much salary. The weather was better. There's nice school for the kids, a nice big parsonage. That was great. But when he talked about going to New York, that was, you know, and I tell this thing that she actually ripped up his diary because she read his diary, saw that he'd already decided, he'd already candidated, he'd already been approved, and he's let, he didn't even let her know. And she got frosted. <laughs> he candidated without work. letting his wife know. That yes. wouldn't fly very well at my house, I can tell you. Holy cow. <laughs> I don't even know how you do that. <laughs> it shouldn't fly well in anybody's house. That's right. Yeah. Well, we're, very we're interesting. You know, yeah, so, yeah. so now I look at that. I have to A B. That was not a good thing to do, brother. <laughs> yeah, and I think he understood that later. But yeah. because he was raised, we're talking. Remember, he was born in 1843. So this man is raised in a patriarchal era when the husband was the husband, the wife have the kids, wife just do that. You know, well, Margaret was the, the oldest son of a very rich family up in Toronto. She was her daddy's girl she'd been born with a silver spoon and all that kind of thing and so she was probably this sound terrible rather spoiled certainly she'd gotten her way most of the, and then she marries this farmer's son who thinks that you know the woman's supposed to be the woman and let me take care of the decisions <laughs> so it took them a whole long time to get their act together so that they could walk in lockstep and once and i and i think there was a there was a mollifying on the part of his understanding of marriage also as he got older also. Remember, he was 20 years old when he got married, and he mm. took his first church at the same time. So he was pretty precocious, but being precocious and smart doesn't make you wise. And he made some pretty unwise decisions. Well, I, for one, am glad I'm not the same person I am. I was uh, when I was 20. So <laughs> yeah. here's to growth in Jesus. You know. Uh, so uh, so is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife's glad that I'm not the same person I was. No, no, she's one. glad I'm not the same person. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, she didn't, she didn't know you, Alan. I know. <laughs> it's her loss. Yeah. David, you mentioned in your book that uh, Simpson wrestled with the issue that he called, or that you called in the book, of stakes and cords. In other words, having a large number of missionaries compared to a, num a small number of alliance branches, which is yeah. what we call what we now call churches right. uh, here in the U.S. Uh, so, what lessons can we learn today from his struggle in this area? I think the biggest lesson we can learn in this stakes versus cords tension is that it's part of our DNA. Uh, I was born and raised in the alliance. Okay. I cannot remember any time in my history, which is now I'm 78, so that's 78 years of Alliance history, even though the early years I didn't know much about it. I can never remember a time when there was a perfect equilibrium between <laughs> uh, supply and demand, because that's our issue. Yeah. We've got a lot of demand. We have a limited supply. And uh, I can remember when we, what was it, back in the 1980s under Dr. King, we we're going to plant a whole bunch of new churches so we can eventually broaden the base and do more outreach and Easter fun. Remember that? You, you yep. remember oh, yeah. That? A thousand more by 94, Easter 100. Oh, that's that. right. When I was coming into the Alliance. Doubling yeah. in a decade. And, and, yeah. And I don't think any of those efforts were bad or wrong. It's just 
I, I'm going to read this for you because I wrote it. Because This is pretty touchy. This is not just part of our history, but part of our total dependency on the Holy Spirit to call, prepare, and provide in order to send those called to preach the gospel to all nations until he comes. Being uncomfortable, struggling to meet budget, and have the needed personnel to fulfill our global call requires us to stay close to God on our knees and totally dependent on him (laughs) to do much, to do with our little, the much that he wants to do. I, I honestly believe that the Lord realizes that I really supply all they need. <laughs> That's why I, I, when I saw that thing, two million bucks came in, you know, in the last couple months, and I'm thinking, oh, oh, Lord, <laughs> if I know you, <laughs> July's going to be bad. <laughs> Hope you're wrong, David. <laughs> but the, the whole point is when we get to, oh, man, we got a nice larder here. We got plenty of yeah. stuff then we can kind of settle back. We need to stay close to God. So, and as I'm thinking historically again, I don't ever remember a time when we could say, oh man, we're in good shape now. Either we got tons of churches that can take care of these missionaries, (laughs) or we got tons of money that can pay the allowance, or we don't have many missionaries, so we we can do what we got. It's always been a struggle. I think it always will be. Yeah, we're we're, we're an organization that's constantly living on the edge stretching our own faith and, and uh, trusting God to meet us. Uh, before he was famous, Robbie Zacharias preached my ordination service, Southeastern District Conference, six or seven of us ordained that night. And one of the quotes from that night that I remember applies to this. We've done so much with so little for so long. We are now qualified to do anything with nothing. And uh, <laughs> I love it. That's kind oh, of the motto. Great uh, line. That's, that's probably what made him famous that night. Probably is. <laughs> so, you know, I so I, what I hear you saying is though, and I hope this is true for all pastors, is that our vision needs to extend beyond our current resources and abilities, or else we won't really move out in faith. Yep. Amen. Yep. Amen. Yeah, that's good stuff. I appreciate you sharing that and bringing that out. Um, so if uh, A.B. were alive today, a um, hundred years after his death, that would be quite an accomplishment. What would he be surprised about today's Alliance movement? I think, honestly, he would be surprised and thrilled to see the growth. You know, A.B., the, what is it, the uh, unlikely founder of a global movement. He certainly didn't set out to, I'm going to start a global movement. Yeah, I'm going to. He just was obeying God's call. He was never worried about that end product. So I think that if he realized that whatever our latest numbers are, that we've got missionaries in over, what is it, 50-some countries, the Alliance flies a flag in 80 countries or so, something, you know, like it's hard to, to keep track with the Alliance World Fellowship. I think, would, I think now. What's that? 88, I believe. 88. I think he would be thrilled. I think he would be delighted happy he'd be overjoyed he would be awed wow that happened you know so i think there's that his goal and you can see it in his early writings after he left the the you know 13th street presbyterian and began that wonderful title of that newspaper the word the work in the world he wrote a lot about the neglected peoples of new york because he was very concerned about New York City. 
and the neglected peoples all around the world, negative people. And as you as you read his literature, and also you know, W. E. Blackstone, who was a good friend of his, these men were early people group thinkers. They researched the world as best they knew, and uh, they were looking to pinpoint where are the places where the name of Jesus hasn't been pronounced and where the gospel isn't isn't present. I can tell you this now. I'm going to give you an advance. Um, the latest book uh, that I just finished has just been published. At least the, the proof copies come to me, and my buddy in Canada already has a copy. It's called Only Tibet, spelled T-H-I-B-E-T. You got to buy the book to figure out why in the world you spell it with an H. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the suspense is already killing me. <laughs> Tibet uh, figured in Simpson's understanding as the only place in the world where it was prohibited to preach the gospel. And it really, at least as much as they knew then, it was. So they were, the Tibetans were considered an, what we would call a UPG, unreached people group. Simpson, you know, uh, he and, and this guy Blackstone were thinking in terms of unreached people groups back in the 1880s. And it wasn't until really till Ralph Winner in the 1970s started talking about it that we realized, oh, it's not about geography. It's about ethnography. It's about people groups around the world. So uh, I think that would be a thrill. Uh, hmm. His Matthew 24, 14 theology went at the time, you know, where he wedded eschatology and, and missiology together. Ralph Winter told me that. He says, you know, A.B. Simpson's the first guy to ever do that. Wow. And I wow. thought about it before, but he, he was right. Simpson brought these two together. That eventually became the, the theology of pioneers and uh, OM and YWAM and so many of the many groups that came up in the, in the last, say, 50 years. So that theology of reaching the unreached, you know, this gospel of the kings from the beach of the whole world as a testimony or witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. A lot of people bought, bought that and, and, and agree with that, and it's become a, a driving force not only for the CMA, but for missions all around the world. I think this would thrill him. It would stun him, but it would thrill him to see that that which he got from the Lord and the Holy Spirit is still alive and well. Mm. So uh, if Simpson was alive today, interestingly, at the end of his life was the Spanish flu uh, epidemic. Yep. Yep. And now we're in the COVID uh, pandemic. Yeah. But uh, that and other things, what encouragement do you think he'd give to today's Alliance movement? That's a very good and a very hard question. Because I believe it requires us to look at ourselves today in view of the message that was the motor behind the movement. And when I say that, I'm talking about fourfold gospel that placed such a great stress on what we call the deeper life, the mm. deeper life component, Christ, our sanctifier. I think he would tell us that we need to preach and teach this pivotal doctrine in such a way that it makes sense to people today. When I was a boy, Terry, you're kind of old, but you're not old yet. <laughs> Amen. Preach it. Preach it. When I was a boy, holiness had been 
equated with uh, we don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't run with the girls that do, we don't bowl, we don't go to movies, we don't have a whole lot of fun. So I guess holiness is all that's left. And that was was such a terrible caricature of what holiness is about. So today, young people need to understand what does it mean to be holy in a secular age that is distant, light years distant from the culture and the environment of A.B. Simpson's day. True biblical holiness is about Christ and me and Christ and all of us who then enables us to live godly lives, uh, who provides everything that we need for kingdom living and service. Perhaps he would tell us that we need to unfold that second fold a little bit more and, and check it out and get to know it better. Yeah, good word. Good that word is a good word. word. Thank you. I would point out that my favorite council was in Carbondale, Illinois in 1983 because we had free bowling all week on the campus of Southern Illinois University. So I'm glad to know that (laughs) bowling is not a violation of holiness standards. I, for one, am certainly glad we was in the Eastern District when I was a boy. Oh, yeah. Well, Lord have mercy. I know a lot of pastors that bowl now, so I think we're pretty safe in Eastern PA, which is which is now smaller than the Eastern district back in those yes. days. Yes. So, but yeah. Wow. That's good insight though. I appreciate that. David, uh, just want to say how much we appreciate you being with us today and uh, your insights. Uh, grateful for the experiences of 78 years in the Alliance that, that you bring to the table. And I'm so glad you tackled this uh idea of writing a book on A.B. Simpson, because I I think you've provided a great resource for generations to come. We walk this fine line in the Alliance, not wanting to put too much attention on our uh, founder. I don't think he had want much attention because for him, it was all about Jesus, Jesus Christ, Savior, Sanctifier, and Healer and Coming King. But as you said, we need to understand our history, and we need to understand the heartbeat of our uh, founder, even some of the things that we're dealing with in the world today to understand that we were founded because we wanted to take the gospel to all peoples, whether those peoples were immigrating to the shores of America or whether they were in the regions beyond Simpson wanted to get the gospel to them. Yeah. I think we really desperately need in our day and time, uh, a framing of, uh, our worldview through this idea of, of the gospel needs to be, uh, proclaimed uh, to all peoples, and that that was the heartbeat of our our founder. So, really appreciate that you've recorded this for perpetuity, and know it's going to be a blessing for generation to come, uh, generations to come if Jesus uh, chooses to tarry. So, thanks so much, David. Really appreciate you yeah. being with us today. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for writing a biography and not a hagiography. Yes, a, a new word for me today. So, I'm thankful for that. But it, you did the right thing. Okay. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, just give you this last word. Uh, when Jeff Lonsinger came to candidate at the church where he is pastoring now here in Newark, Delaware, and he and I were talking about A.B. Simpson, and he said this. He said, if you don't understand A.B. Simpson, you don't understand the Alliance. I yeah. it. Bingo. Good word. Good word it is. Thanks so much, David. God bless you, my friend. Okay. Thank you very much. God bless. Take Bye-bye. Care. Hey, great interview, huh, with uh, David Allen? What'd you sure what'd was? You, what'd you hear today that you enjoyed? Well, honestly, it's a lot of what I expected. Some honest talk about our founder, who 
Uh, and as the subtitle of the book talks about, you know, the uh, just the idea of somebody that is an unusual founder for a global movement. And uh, David was great, plus surprised some great insights on the past the Alliance and really good hope for the future. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm really encouraged leaving this interview. Well, we can all be reassured by the fact that God uses imperfect people because we are all among those who are imperfect. Amen. And uh, so is A.B. Simpson. So uh, where can people uh, find, share, and trumpet our podcast, Alan? <laughs> and trumpet. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, they can trumpet our podcast wherever they're listening to it. Whether it's Apple Podcasts or through Podbean or Google Play or Spotify. We're there now as well. So check it out. Share it on social media. Message it to a friend. Uh, share it. Uh, this is probably a really good thing if I'm thinking about it. Um, this would be a nice introduction for like somebody new to the Alliance, you know, because if you're not trying to glorify somebody beyond, but you're also saying this is our heritage. So it was really good. So to me, this would be something new to share with maybe a potential elder if they're not that familiar with A.B. Simpson or somebody that's new member that uh, is trying to learn about the Alliance. So yeah, there's many opportunities to share that. Yeah, so we hope uh, that those of you who listen faithfully, which we appreciate, are uh, uh, benefiting from this uh, podcast in a variety of ways. And uh, we'd like a lot more people to listen. So if you're enjoying it, mention it in your next uh, ministerium, coaching cluster, whatever we're calling those, regional leadership network. Let other pastors know that it's out there. Let your elders and uh, other leaders in your church uh, know that it's out there so that they too can benefit from this uh, Equipping You podcast. We're really glad you joined us today and uh, looking forward to season four that will be launching soon in September. Good Lord willing. And uh, if our editor is able to get things put together really quickly, because we're a little bit behind because of COVID. There's that word again. Thank you, Alliance pastors and leaders, for all that you're doing during this season. You're amazing to me. You're stepping to the plate, doing a great job. Love y'all, respect y'all, appreciate y'all. Keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.